loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming E.B. Bartels. E.B. is a nonfiction writer, a former Newtonville Books bookseller, and a Grub Street instructor with an MFA from Columbia University. Her writing has appeared in Catapult, Electric Literature, The Rumpus, The Millions, The Toast, and The Butter, among others. She's the author of Good Grief on Loving Pets Here and Hereafter, a narrative nonfiction book about the world of loving and losing animals, exploring the singular nature of our bonds with our companion animals and how best to grieve for them once they've passed away. E.B. lives in Massachusetts with her husband, Richie, and their many, many pets. Welcome, E.B. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm, I'm so happy to be here today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. And of course, we share a title in common. <laughs> I know. It feels like a treat for me to be on this show. So thank you. You're welcome. And, and I think sim- having read your book, similarly, we don't try to bypass the grief part. And then there's also kind of what happens as we move forward in grief, the things that, that, are, that we gain from our relationship with grief in the long run, I guess I'd say. For instance, your book. <laughs> yeah, I think um, for me, the idea of good grief is that, you know, grief is, is always hard and challenging, but at least when it comes to pets, you know, there are very few people I talked to from my book who had one animal and that animal died and they were like, I can never love again. Right. You know, it's, it's hard grieving a pet, but so many people felt like it was a good thing, you know, ultimately. So it's, it's worth that grief to return to it over and over. And that's a, that's a place where many people do, do uh, have that experience of um, loss and then not wanting to to leave themselves just with the loss, but um, maybe even, I don't know, perhaps even deepening our, our love and connection to animals. Yeah, I think something that I, um, you know, was thinking about a lot while writing this book was sort of, you know, well, why do we keep returning to having animals if, you know, no one forces you to adopt an adorable kitten that then is just going to break your heart, you know, in 15 to 20 years. And I think that um, actually, I, I think because animals' lives, life expectancy is so much shorter, you know, they actually... Um, remind us about how fleeting life is and how important it is to be in the moment and enjoy things while you can, you know, because you never know when someone could be gone. So I think actually, because animals die so, so quickly, I guess, compared to human lives, I think that's part of what makes them so special. Oh, I totally agree. And also, I guess I, I, I think that there's a way that there's not denial about pet death. You don't get a dog and think they'll never die, but people engage in a lot of denial of, around human death 
right? And get clobbered when they lose a person. But it is an expected part of having a pet. And I wonder if that doesn't help, actually, that, that, that you're aware of that as you go along. Yeah, I think that definitely, you know, people, most people go into pet ownership knowing fully what they're getting into, right? I I will say, though, so many people I interviewed um, were surprised, I guess, or really blindsided by the depth of their feelings and the grief that they felt. I think maybe it's not that people don't expect um, their pets to die, though I I have had a few people joke with me, you know, like, oh, I'll never need your book because my cat's immortal, you know. (laughs) But but I think people are often really shocked by the depth of their feelings because either they've never had an animal before or they didn't realize, you know, the kind of special relationship or unique relationship. I think part of what's really special about having pets, in my opinion, is that, you know, you can have a relationship with them that's pretty different from your relationship with people, right? Like animals are non-judgmental, you know, they don't hold grudges and they are just so like, you know, open with their affection. And and also, um, you know, you can be physically close to your pets. You can snuggle with them when you watch TV, they sleep in your bed often and, and losing that can be really, really hard. So I think people are often just surprised by how- Blindsided by the depth of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I met a woman once at a speaking thing I was doing who said, I've experienced a lot of loss in my life, but never have I experienced a deeper grief than when my dog died. And I thought that was incredible, you know, that um, for some reason, I mean, it's it's a pretty pure love when you love a pet, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's no projection. There's no, you hurt my feelings and you don't let it go. You know, <laughs> they're just, yeah. they're, there's not that kind of overlay, is there? No. And I think that, you know, when a human dies, like you can have a pretty complicated, you know, relationship with a person, you know, that you can love them, but they could have also been, you know, difficult to live with or mean to you, or, you know, you can love someone who can also be abusive. And with animals, though, it's really not like that at all. And I think that that very pure relationship, um, you know, when you lose that, I also, I, I've read many books by um, different psychologists and psychiatrists who write about loss and, and specifically pet death. And uh, several of them said, you know, people often see pets too as an extension of themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you're not embarrassed, you know, when you get out of the shower and your dog sees you, you know, without a towel on, you're just like, <laughs> oh, whatever, you know? So it's, it's, so lose that, it's almost like losing a little part of yourself more than, uh, you know, a fa- just a family member or a friend. So there's kind of a lack of self-consciousness is what we're talking about. And yeah. I'm interested in your own story that um, your desire for pets was born out of a loneliness that was soothed by those relationships Uh, And that just seems so, I'm thinking of all the different um, functions that pets have had in my life and the lives of people close to me. And uh, it's different for different people, but that's a very deep kind of um, fulfillment, I I would imagine. Yeah, I um I am sort of an only child. I have 
three older siblings from my dad's first marriage, and they're all nine to 13 years older than me. So for most of my childhood, um, and I write about this in the book, you know, I was the only one in the house, right? You know, they, they spent half their time with their mom, but then they were also, you know, in high school and then college, and they were off living their own lives. And I really, you know, was lonely often when I was home by myself. And so pets really became sort of surrogate siblings, I guess, in a way, or mm-hmm. you know, my friends um, and my peers, you know? And so uh, I loved having animals who really felt like, you know, my, my buddies when I was at home. So other friends of mine had siblings they were close to, and I had my bird Kiki, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, also though, I was really interested in your mom in it because as I understand it, she was quite resistant for various reasons. But one of the reasons that you discovered later was actually protectiveness towards you about losing pets. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So my mom is um, has super allergies. And so she used that as a very easy and obvious excuse to be like, we can't have a cat. We can't have a dog. Like, you know, it's I'll be sneezing all the time. Like, I don't want to have to take Sudafed every single day. Um, but later it, it came out that, you know, she actually was stalling more because she was really afraid of how hard it would hit me when those pets inevitably died. And I mean, that's very much in line with the kind of person my mom is. She's, you know, I'm her only child and she's always been extremely protective of me. And, um, you know, I, I could see her wanting to protect me from that hurt, but I think, you know, losing beings that you love, whether they're human or non-human is, is part of life. Right. So it doesn't really make sense to not let your kid ever have a pet because you're worried they'll be hurt by, you know, someone dying because, you know, if you're a person living in the world, you're going to experience death at one point or another. So in some ways, almost like let your kid have practice, you know, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, the irony struck me as I was reading that that um, when you finally got her to relent, the pets you first got had much shorter lifespans than a dog or a cat. So you faced it pretty quickly, huh? I know. It's funny. I I was thinking about that a lot while I was writing too, because, you know, if you're a parent who's worried about how hard your kid's going to take it when their pet dies, like maybe you should start them off with like a tortoise or a parrot that's going to (laughs) live years, right? Um, but yeah, fish are just, oh my gosh. And fish are so tricky. You know, you, you accidentally change the pH levels and like, you could have a whole fish massacre, you know, and it's just like, it, they, they do live, um, short lives. And, um, you know, in some ways I then got exposed to, to death pretty quickly, um, from, you know, having that first grouping of fish. I I'm having this memory, uh, you know, I came to do this show because my first wife died after a very long illness, and she was a a, a fisher person. Mm-hmm. And when she could no longer do that, we got a fish tank, right? Um, which was great as long as she was healthy enough to take care of it. But I was not talented with fish. We lost a lot of fish once I needed to be the one, you know, so it was kind of an interesting situation that she was she was moving towards the the end of her life 
watching these fish who were dying. So were our kids, you know, we'd get attached and then the fish would die. It was good practice in a way, though, as you're saying. Um, (laughs) We were just living with a certain amount of coming and going in that way every day. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that's in some ways why having a pet is so great is, you know, they they remind you of, of how short life is. And I mean, fish especially, right? Like, you know, my, my husband is the one who keeps the fish tank in our house. I do not touch it. I'm so afraid of, of messing it up. But, um, you know, it, it it's something that you can enjoy, but you also have to sort of accept that, yeah, they'll, they'll come and go, you know, it's, it's part of it. Part of how it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So uh, it, it's not only did you develop a deep love for pets, that's obvious in even these few minutes we've been talking, but also a deep fascination with pets and grief. And I wondered if you could trace that, you know, because we've gone to pet cemeteries all over the world. You've, you've really deep dived into how people handle that, how they experience it, um, what, what difference different pet relationships make in the grief, all of that. What got you really diving into that? Well, the, um, the very first glimmer of the idea for this book was in almost 10 years ago now, in fall 2012, when I um, was getting my MFA at Columbia, and I, my MFA thesis was about something else. Um, but when I was taking a break from writing that, I would write these short sort of personal essays about pets I'd had, and, and often they would end with how those animals died. And a friend of mine kind of pointed out, she said, you know, it's so interesting that, you know, you always you know, buried your fish in your backyard. She's like, we would always flush ours. And somebody else said, you know, their family would bury, you know, parakeets in this certain park near their house. And we're sort of all comparing our different, our stories. And, you know, my friend pointed out, she says, there's really no one societal acceptable way to mourn your pets. And she said, you know, it might be interesting if you did a little research and sprinkled in a few fun facts into this essay about different ways that people across time and different cultures and throughout history, you know, have mourned their pets. And I said, Oh, that's a great idea. And um, a couple years later, when I was unpacking all my boxes from my MFA and going through my papers, I was like, Oh, I liked that idea. And I started to do a little research. This was in 2014. And I just fell into this black hole of research. I, I couldn't believe the amazing uh, and varied ways that people choose to honor their pets. And so I just became really intrigued with kind of seeing, you know, when there isn't a societal standard um, for mourning practices, you know, what do people do? That's, and that means a certain openness to the subject in the first place, right? To, to really become fascinated with um, and of course, that's partly because you've had a lot of pets, so you've lost a lot of pets, right? That's sort of yeah. natural in the same way that a lot of people who come on this show, and of course, I'm an example too, uh, only dove into into contemplation on on loss and grief and death and all the rest was an experience. Um, so you've yeah. probably had more of those experiences than a lot of people. 
Right. And, you know, I, I say I started, you know, first thinking and writing this book 10 years ago, but like, you know, honestly, I've been thinking about this topic for 34 years, right. You know, my, my whole life. Um, but it's something that, you know, I, I realized was just part of, of having pets and loving pets. And I was so touched to see all these different ways that people honor them. You know, I, I think often I felt alone in my my feelings of grief and wondering if I was overreacting or if I was the only person who'd ever gotten this upset about a fish dying. But, yeah. um, you know, it was really affirming to do this research and see that this was far from the case. I would say it would be rare that someone would not be um, feeling some pretty big feelings when a pet they're attached to dies. When you say that's more uncommon to to kind of run right by it, I, I can't imagine it myself. Yeah, I think honestly, the only people who really um, maybe claim they didn't feel great uh, depth of feeling are people who are maybe denying it a little bit or trying to just ignore or tamp down their feelings. Um, but, you know, everyone I talked to really, really said that losing a pet hit them just as hard, sometimes harder than when they lost a, a human that they loved. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it would be unusual, I think, not to be moved by the death of an animal. Another thing you highlight is kind of uh, the way in which pet loss is somewhat disenfranchised. There are no, on the one hand, there are no rituals about it. So you get to do what feels right to you, right? But on the other hand, there are no no rituals for it. So is it really recognized as a big loss? Um, I think disenfranchised is a word that applies in that in that area, don't you think? Yeah, I um I I first learned about the idea of disenfranchised and disenfranchised grief, you know, often reading about miscarriages or divorce or even like losing a house in a fire, you know, those are all things that you can grieve and go through and experience, you know, the same feeling sort of of loss as, as with a death, but often, you know, we find them harder to talk about. And I, I really think pet death falls in that category that, you know, so many people I interviewed for this book told me you are the first person I have shared these feelings with, you know, mm. I, I couldn't tell anybody else how, you know, I didn't shower for two weeks after my dog died, or I had a hard time leaving the house, or I kept calling out sick to work, but I said that I had the flu, you know, I, it really, um, people suddenly were excited actually to share these feelings and talk about these things with me. And I've noticed, you know, when I've done book events um, for good grief that people just come up to me after and are so excited to share their stories and remember their pets and, and talk about these animals that really um, profoundly impacted their lives. Yeah, just to put this in a little broader context, most businesses give you three days at most if a close family member dies. So there's not going to be any accommodation for a pet. But in fact, you may be incapable of working for a little bit. You know, it's a big, a big change in your everyday life. Yeah. And like you said, you know, some people can be way more impacted by the death of a pet than, you know, their father could die and they've been estranged from him for years, but they get three days off for him. Right. <laughs> their cat, you know, like. Not to imply three days is anywhere near 
what people actually need, but I'm just saying three days versus nothing is a tad more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think we all need a lot more time to grieve wh- whomever it is, you know, um, but it's better than nothing, I guess. So another thing, we're, we're just about at the break, but when we come back, I just want to talk about um, the different types of, because you've had so many types of pets, you know, everything from fish to birds to tortoises to, you've had a lot of different kinds of pets, dogs. Um, I would like to hear from you whether you think there's any difference that that is as a result of species. Mm. Um, uh, I could, I, I can't tell, but you might have more wise, wise words to say on that than I. So let's come back to that in a few minutes. All right. Listen. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And to find E.B. Bartels, go to ebbartels.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. 
Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with E.B. Bartels about her book, Good Grief, on loving pets here and hereafter. And before the break, E.B., I was um, curious, expressing some curiosity about whether you think there are species differences. And then during the break, I, I realized it's it's also got an aspect, are there differences in terms of the function the animal had in your life? Um, service dogs versus uh, pets versus your horse that you go see at the stall, you know. Um, what, if, what, what do you think about all that, all those differences? Well, I think it's interesting, um, you know, that you ask because a lot of people have been wondering, you know, does someone grieve a tarantula, you know, as hard as they grieve a horse that lives for 30 years, you know, or a parrot that could live for 60 years? And um, my feeling is that really the end result is the same. The, the grief, um, you know, is, is universal. Um, and it just kind of depends on the person's specific relationship with that animal. So, you know, um, one um, gentleman who I interviewed for my book, you know, I wrote about him and his, his service dog. And they are together 24 hours a day. You know, they are together all the time. And I cannot imagine what kind of a loss that will be when suddenly, you know, that dog is no longer alive or even just, you know, um, if that dog needs to retire because he's too old to, you know, keep up that work, like that's another type of loss. Um, and, you know, I, I, I talk to people who grew up on farms or grew up in more rural areas who, you know, had dogs and cats, but they kind of like lived outside or did their own thing or people who, you know, would farm, um, you know, sheep and goats and different types of animals. And sometimes I think if you have a little more distance um, between you and a pet, um, it doesn't really matter the species, but more, you know, they're mm -hmm, doing the relationship. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just read actually yesterday, there was a piece in the Washington Post about a man who has an alligator who's a service animal. I don't know if you saw that. And, um, you know, I think some people would think, oh, a reptile is cold and, you know, not very snuggly and affectionate, but they're together all the time. And he loves this alligator. And I don't think it matters that it's, you know, a reptile. I think that's going to be devastating for him one day when he loses that pet. Yeah. Someone very, very close to me has an emotional service dog for uh, post-traumatic stress. And um, it, there's a lot of interesting things about that, but that would be a particularly tough loss, right? Because that person has an animal emotionally supporting them. So right. yeah. uh, that is much more like losing a person in my mind because uh, one of the things that makes a, uh, a death so um, impactful is losing that, that emotional energy you were getting from the person. Um, so I imagine that that will be at that level, if you yeah. will. Yeah, and I think too, you know, your emotional support animal is the being you turn to when you need emotional support. So then, you know, when that creature is gone, then, you know, who, who do you turn to? And I think a lot about, I think it was in Cheryl Strayed's memoir, Wild, where she's writing about the death of her mother and how she says, you know, she was so close to her mom that when her mom died, you know, the first person she wanted to call to talk to about it was her mom. Her mom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think that that's, that's such a, 
a, a natural thing. And, and, you know, something I do, I write about a lot in the book is um, the importance, I think, of making sure you find your people who understand, you know, mm-hmm. so obviously losing a service animal, an emotional support animal, you know, a tortoise you've had for 60 years, you know, is, is really, really hard, but it's important to find other people who really get it and who are willing to, you know, be there for you and, and listen to you and, and show up in all the ways that people show up, you know, when a human loved one dies, but just because it happens to be an animal, they get it, you know? For sure. This is a little off topic, but I, I really want to get this message out that, um, People do not always understand the depth of that relationship when it's people get it when it's sight. If you see a um, a person who can't see with their service animal, you get how major and important that is. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed that people do not get that with this emotional support animal um, who who is service trained, right? And does things like, you know, have her back and um, keep an eye out and all these things that are, that are extremely helpful. But um, I've been along on, um, you know, public outings where people just get furious that this dog is somewhere, Mm -hmm. the store, a restaurant, you know, furious. And I just want to put it out there that that is really hard on people who do have emotional service dogs because they're already vulnerable and then they get get the worst from other people. I'm a little bit of a, of a, you know, um, it's a subject I care a lot about. Yeah, no. And I, I, you know, the, the man I interviewed who I referenced before, he, he said, you know, he's had times where, cabs have refused to take him and you know he's showing all the paperwork and explaining like this dog you know he he also um, was a vet like a veteran not a veterinarian sorry it's confusing (laughs) talking about my book sometimes Um, i knew what you meant (laughs) but yes he has ptsd as well and you know people just don't really get it or believe it i think unless you know somebody and really can witness that bond and support and you know, help that that animal really provides for someone. So yeah, that's, that's a really frustrating thing. Sorry, but (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Well, and then of course, of course, somebody coming at a person like that uh, can be a really big trigger. So then how do you keep your head about you to explain, right? (laughs) Or do you just cross react? um, Hopefully um, able to, to let it roll off their their backs, but not always. So um, anyway, how that connects with this is just how deep certain bonds with animals are. Um, I know I've had many clients who had a pet when their partner died, let's say, and the pet um, sometimes even uncharacteristically just didn't didn't leave their side and um you know help them through it um and then when the pet dies it's as if they're starting all over with the grief mm-hmm. of the original grief um because pets get so associated with um living with with the loss in the first place 
Yeah. And I, I spoke to several people who, you know, were kind of left with uh, a loved one's pet, you know, that the person passed away and they inherited the animal. And that, that animal, I think is, is so much more than just, you know, a, a sweet dog or cat or you know, parrot or whatever, but it's a little bit of that, you know, person is still alive in a way, I think. In that Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a link. Mm-hmm. It's when people have to move, that happens when, you know, uh, all kinds of things that were a part of your life with that person. Uh, when you lose those things, it's another level of the loss itself. Exactly. So I think something, you know, kind of going off of what you said with the emotional support animals, I think something that's really frustrating is that people don't, people, you, you can't, know really the depth of someone's relationship with a pet right and a lot of people I spoke to said you know they would be crying at work and mention that they had to put their cat down and someone would say well you know oh, there's so many cats that need a home like you can adopt another one and you know like you wouldn't tell somebody whose child died that they could just go have another one right and like oh my gosh EB I wish that were true oh <laughs> you know it's I have just- heard so many times I think everyone that I've ever interviewed that had a young child die was told, well, at least you can have another one. But, but I do get your point that people feel maybe a little bit more at liberty to say that. Uh, more people will say that, perhaps. Maybe people, um, I don't know, will think twice before saying that about a child, but they just blurted it out with pets. And I, I think that you know, yeah, you don't know, like maybe this cat that someone's crying over was, you know, this person's husband's cat and the husband already died and the cat was the last remaining, you know, part of him. Or you don't know if, um, you know, somebody is estranged from their family and the only, you know, creature that they spend the holidays with is their dog. Like then that dog is, is really important, you know? So I think that it's not really fair to assume, you know, based on your own relationships with animals or lack of, you know, relationships with animals, what it's like for somebody else going through it. So, you know, I think just honestly, like the best thing you can probably say is just, you know, wow, that's really hard. I'm sorry you're dealing with that, you know, like just to be there for somebody, you know? Yes. The basic, the basic grief primer we're talking about in every loss ask questions before you offer advice, I guess, is the bottom line. And even just, you know, I've had people just say to me like, wow, that sucks. And you know what? Like that, that means a lot to just have someone admit that it's, it's hard. And, you know, I've heard of really wonderful stories of where people have shown really great empathy. Like, um, one, one example, I interviewed a woman who, um, when she was right out of college, she was living in the Boston area, working her first job and found out that her family, who is, I believe, in South Dakota, had to put down her childhood cat. And she really wanted to fly home to be there, but just couldn't afford it because, you know, she was 22 and broke. And <laughs> she happened to mention this to her boss and he just transferred all his airline miles to her so she could fly uh... home. And like those moments are so wonderful. But then at the same time, someone I was just emailing with told me that she asked to take time off to go, um, you know, be with her parents to put down her 18 year old cat. And her boss said, you know, 
well, yeah, you can go, but it's really inappropriate that you asked to do that. You know, so it's just, there's such a range of reactions and it's just really, um, I think that's part of why people don't talk about pets dying is because you're just so, uh, you don't really know, you know, which, which way an interaction could go. For sure. I'm, I'm thinking of the, of the, um, part of your book where you're talking about, uh, your husband's grief over his pet being so deep, he didn't want to have another one. That wouldn't have worked out, would it? <laughs> if he stayed in that frame of mind. But but that can be an early grief that it's so painful, you know. But if people are thinking you just got over it or, um, you know, wasn't that important, that's, that's actually very uh, damaging in a way. Mm -hmm. injurious is a better word yeah no and i think you you know it's people are very quick i think to uh, belittle their own feelings of grief often when it comes to loving pets because they are um, afraid of that judgment or also i don't know i'm sure you experience this all the time talking to people about grieving but i think it's very human to try to like compartmentalize or, or rank things you know so you know, when my dog died, I had certain friends where I was like, oh, well, I can't talk to so-and-so about my dog dying because, you know, his mom died, you know, like, so it's not comparable or I'm going to look frivolous or silly crying about my dog to somebody who, you know, lost a parent. And, you know, I, I think it's just, we have to get better at accepting that they're all types of grief and they're all different you know, feelings and there's no real hierarchy because everyone's experience is so different and nuanced. And, you know, all you can do is really feel your feelings and kind of move through them to keep going. Yeah. I, I feel as if comparison is the enemy of good grief. Yes, definitely. <laughs> as soon as you're comparing whatever you're experiencing to, to whether it's better or worse or whatever from someone else's, you, you lose track of yourself in that. And of course, it could be just as likely that 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 friend would resonate and that your comfort talking about it would liberate them. That's just as likely as as, uh, you know, him finding you um, inappropriate for feeling grief. You know, I actually was speaking with a friend um, just this past weekend whose husband died this summer and she read my book and part of me was honestly like a little embarrassed, you know, like she's reading a book about pets dying when she lost her husband of 50 plus years. And she said, no, like there was a lot that really resonated with me that it's the same and feeling, you know, a lot of the same things she's going through. It's just sort of a different form. So that meant a lot to hear that from her. Um. You know, I was, I was um, really struck at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, this is kind of a related, uh, a related subject. How many people were deeply miserable at the loss of their life the way it was before everything shut down? You know, it was a huge loss. And they were saying, well, I shouldn't feel so bad because nobody died, right? right. <laughs> but the fact is, they were feeling very bad and they couldn't move forward with it without recognizing they felt bad. It was part and parcel. 
So that's a that's another example of the same thing we're talking about. Your grief is your grief. Whatever you're feeling is what you're feeling, right? Yeah, actually, um, I had to. Uh, my husband and I had to postpone our wedding um, in early COVID, and I remember being so upset about that, but feeling embarrassed, like you know, well, no one died. You know, my family is all okay and healthy. So why am I crying about postponing this thing? You know, but it, it was a loss in a different way. Absolutely. And, and every loss, it takes our power away, right? <laughs> we can't make it come out the way we want. Let's go to another break and we'll, and we'll come back and talk more about that. Listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, the Good Grief host page for links to everything, including a link to my novel where you can see where you can buy it. And to find E.B. Bartels, you can go to ebbartels.com back after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with E.B. Bartels about her book, Good Grief, on loving pets here and hereafter. And uh, a natural follow-up to what we were talking about in terms of all the discomforts uh, expressing how the loss is affecting 
us and um, really owning our own loss is how you do find support and um, resonance with people who can be there for you as as you go through such a loss. What, what do you think about that? How have you navigated that in your life and what makes it work better and worse, I guess? <laughs> well, I think actually social media is one of the greatest tools you can find to, to find your sort of your people who get it. I um, An example I, I think about a lot is my friend Annie Hartnett, who is a novelist. You should read her books. Um, she had a dog named Harvey who was really sick. And she told me about how when um, he was, you know, dying, she was posting every day, multiple times a day on Facebook about how he was doing. And you know, the people who didn't really care or didn't really get it could just kind of scroll by. But the people who knew Harvey or the people who knew how much Harvey meant to Annie, even if they didn't know the dog, they could comment, they could respond, they could, you know, text her and let her know that they were there for them. And she told me that after he finally died, she got dozens of sympathy cards, which she doesn't think that she would have gotten if she wasn't being so open about posting about what was going on. So I think, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they're all great places actually to, you know, post something about what's going on with you and your pet. And, you know, the people who get it will reach out and and be there for you. Um, So I I really, I really endorse that. I also, my, my friend, um, Sean lost his dog this spring and he told me how much he enjoyed getting to go through and just pick, you know, his 10 favorite photos to post on Instagram as like a little tribute. And it was very cathartic. So I think that, um, that can be a great tool in a lot of different ways. I completely agree with that. It's really changed the grief landscape somewhat to be able to share. But I do have one caveat, which is that sometimes in the very deepest depth of feeling, it's actually hard to process the comments. Yeah. Because not everybody comments positively. I, I, if I had control over it, I'd say never post anything even remotely negative when someone's talking about loss. But in fact, that medium does disinhibit people. And they, and they would say something like, God, it was only a dog or, you know, whatever it is. So that's, um, you know, Maybe you have someone read the comments and, and erase the inappropriate ones or something, depending on how big, how big the platform is that you have, how many people are yeah. seeing what you're posting. Right. Like if it's only really your closest family and friends who are seeing it, hopefully, you know, they understand not to say things like that, but hopefully like, so, huh? <laughs> hopefully, but you don't, you don't know. Um, I do know some people who have often done a post and disabled the comments because they just wanted to kind of put it out there. And then, you know, people can follow up by texting or emailing or reaching out, you know, separately. And it's not just adding a comment onto an Instagram post, which I think can be, um, you know, if someone has to do that extra step, maybe they'll think twice about think what twice. I think that's a very wise suggestion when it comes to grief. Um, you know, I, I've seen what goes right and wrong in grief for people. And um, boy, it can just be so crushing uh, if someone's unkind. 
at certain moments in in grief. And especially as you were talking about your own timidity about really claiming it as substantial, right? Mm -hmm. Well, should I talk to this friend who lost their mom? That means you're, you're, you're vulnerable about it when you're sharing. And um, that's a good idea to just sort of suspend the comments until you're at a place to be able to respond to them. I think too, you know, that's why it's important to, to kind of know long before your pet dies, who your, your pet people are, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like I know which of my friends have been totally derailed by the death of a dog or, you know, a fish or whatever it is. And, you know, those are the people who I kind of have in the back of my mind to reach out to when, you know, my dog Seymour, he, he's a rescue from Florida and he was heartworm positive when we got him and he went through this awful treatment and I was so worried that he was sick and that he was, you know, not going to make it through. And there were certain friends who I knew, you know, those are the people to talk to about this who really get it, you know? So I think kind of collecting those people ahead of time and also seeking out, you know, I interviewed for the book several, um, you know, either therapists or ministers who run um, a pet loss grief circle, which I think Mm. is, a really great space because, you know, you can, there's a lot of guilt associated with pet death, which, I mean, we could talk for another hour just about yes. things of responsibility and, and, you know, angst that comes with making the call about euthanasia, but, you know, in a pet loss grief circle, you listen to somebody else beating themselves up about their cat and you think, you know, I think they did everything they could have done. And I think that, you know, they don't deserve to to treat themselves like that. And you can apply that to yourself, right? You know, that you tried as hard as you could with your animal and death, unfortunately, is just part of the life cycle in the end. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I was very struck by that part of the book and I was thinking, okay, why did I not feel, we've had two dogs that uh, we euthanized. I liked what happened with the second one better because we kept her home. Yeah. (laughs) That was the big difference. But they were both quite sacred to me, if that makes sense as a word. And I was I was wondering as I was reading your book, okay, what made it possible for me not to carry a lot of guilt? And I think it it was having lived through the loss of a very, very important human. And and having to make decisions about her care once she wasn't able to do it anymore, you know, I'd kind of navigated those issues in advance in a way. Um, and I think that does come from being able to talk about it. You know, I I didn't make those decisions alone. I had people to talk to. I had, uh, and then of course my wife and I were together for the two dogs. So mm-hmm. I I do think that 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 aspect of support is really vital. Yeah. And I think, you know, feeling like it's not all on you, you can talk through these things with people, you know, if you are like, I interviewed people who told me they were regularly in therapy, but didn't even think to bring up the fact when their pet died, because they just didn't think it was like worthy of talking about in therapy, but it's, it's, it's a loss. And um, my, one of my best friends is um, a nurse midwife. And I remember she was saying that, you know, when she's looking for, um, you know, 
when a postpartum patient, you know, needs extra support, one of hers uh, mentioned that her dog died and she immediately flagged it as, you know, we need to keep an eye on her because she's going through a lot right now. And I think that having mental health professionals and, you know, just close friends and family who you know will get it, you know, before you've even gotten to that point is really important. And also, my profession it doesn't all go in one direction. Some people are extremely good at working with grief. Most of most of the reason being they've had grief that they, they've navigated. Some therapists actually, I've had many clients come to me because their therapists failed in that circumstance. Yeah, and you know there are therapists out there now who specialize specifically in grief around pet death. So if you're looking for someone really specific, you know, like they're out there. And I think there's a lot of social workers actually now often who are affiliated with um, big animal hospitals or veterinary practices who, you know, vets are, are able to recommend or suggest, you know, if you really need somebody who gets it, like here are some resources. So I think that, um, you know, it's, it's all about finding the right people to help you. So, yes. And just to, to wrap up on the impact of, of the actual death process, um, one of the big differences between the first pet and the second pet, caring professionals, but the person that came to our home and hung out with us and asked for stories about the dog, and you know, it it was a lot more peaceful for us in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our daughter came home for it. You know, it was a big family event. And um, maybe not everyone would would want that, but it really worked well for us. So I do think it has an impact how the actual death happens. I completely agree. And, you know, I think that there's so much um, that's challenging about pet death because often pets die suddenly or violently, or, you know, you have to make a decision really fast, but I'm, I'm so happy you could have that really kind of special um, goodbye together as a family. So I, I wish that for everybody, honestly, with their pets. Yes. N- not that dissimilar to, to um, people either. It was also important that my wife died at home, surrounded by love. You know, so, yeah. uh, if we get the chance, that's a that's that leaves us with less residue, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I hope people go look for the book um, because there are so many stories. I tried to stay a little categorical, but there's so many stories that are specific to certain losses that I just think people who resonate with pets would so enjoy. So thanks for being with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. This has been really, really wonderful to talk to you. Good. You can find EB at ebbartels.com. Next week, I'll have Amy Turner, We'll be talking about her memoir, On the Ledge, which chronicles her recovery from a terrible accident and how it led to an examination of childhood trauma she experienced in her family. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.